0: Well Good morning I want to begin by uh, by saying thank you very much to all of the mothers who are here uh, today and to uh, all of the mothers who have served faithfully in that role. When I think of all the ministries that are essential to the lifeblood of the church and of the kingdom of God, you're going to be hard-pressed to find one more significant that has a more lasting value and more depth and meaning to it than the role of a mother. Uh, I love some of the words that were said earlier in the opening prayer and also in the the elders' call to, to worship about considering the value and uh, even the the theology of motherhood and how that shapes and forms our view of God and our earliest experiences of of love. And so I just want to challenge everyone who's here this morning, uh, if your mother is still around, uh, be sure and express your thanks and appreciation and uh, let her know that often. Not even only uh, just on today, but every time that you can. And uh, be sure and express that appreciation to God as well, who blessed you with that mother. So, we are beginning a new series of lessons this morning. Uh, we are going to spend the summer actually looking through a couple of chapters of the Bible of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. We're gonna be on the mountain with Jesus this summer, and I hope that it is uh, beneficial. I hope that it's challenging. In fact, I find it impossible to read the Sermon on the Mount and not walk away, extremely challenged. Uh, I find it hard to read the Sermon on the Mount and not walk away thinking I have a lot of changes I need to make in my life. I believe it is one of the most difficult passages in all of the Bible, one of the most difficult sermons. Not so much in just understanding it. For the most part, I think you can get the point Jesus is saying without too much difficulty, but it is really hard to do. It is really hard to apply the Sermon on the Mount, and that's what we're going to be seeking to do this summer, and this will contribute to our overall theme for 2023, which is a Christ vision. We are trying to see the world as Jesus does. We're trying to see the world through the lens of Jesus. You can look at just about anything in this world. You can look at all kinds of topics. You can look at politics. You can look at marriage. You can look at motherhood. You can look at uh, money, and you can look at uh, war. You can look at all sorts of things from one perspective. But, and a lot of us do, we have our own like cultural perspectives and worldviews with which we were reared. But when you turn to Christ, you're supposed to start looking at things from another perspective, a perspective influenced by Jesus. You shouldn't see any of those topics without seeing Jesus first. You shouldn't see any of those topics without considering the way Jesus would approach them. You know, we, we can word this in different ways. Uh, Paul uses an illustration in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 of reading scripture with a veil on your face when you're reading it without Jesus. But then when you turn to Jesus, you remove the veil and you can see a lot more there than you previously could. I think sometimes we can look at this world with a veil on our face. But then, when we turn to the Lord and we try to see them through the lens of Jesus, it's like taking off the veil and seeing them anew for the first time. The Sermon on the Mount is trying to give us a new look at the world. So, there's a lot that you can say about the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be spending uh, this summer there. But before we get actually to the words of Jesus, I want to focus this morning on the fact that he's on a mountain. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, as we call it. Uh, why do we call it the Sermon on the Mount? Well, because it begins by saying, Jesus went up on a mountain. And that might seem like a, a rather pointless detail, you know, something you just kind of read across, say, okay, well, maybe he did that just to be seen. You know, if the people are going to be listening to him, you get up a little bit higher than everyone can see. That probably had something to do with it, practically speaking. But there's a really important theme, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, about mountains, Matthew does something special with the the setting of a mountain throughout the whole book. And so to start off the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to look at what Matthew's doing with mountains and see what perhaps that can teach us about Jesus. I think you can see some interesting things. So we're going to break it down to four different scenes where Jesus is on a mountain. And we're not going to go in the exact order Matthew does. We're going to kind of start it towards the end and then build our way back up to the sermon. But you'll see that each of these reveals something special about Jesus and about what his mission is and about what he's doing. Because the idea of a mountain being important isn't only a theme in Matthew. It's also throughout the whole Bible. You know, you can see, just think about how many important events in the Bible take place on a mountain, whether it's the receiving of the law of Moses or whether it is um, the, the, where, where the ark uh, landed after the flood or whether it's where the temple is built, the Temple Mount, as it's called. Uh, you, you can see there's a lot of significance given to the mountaintop. Even perhaps Eden was on a mountaintop. There's a few clues that, that might uh, lead us to that idea as well. So why is Jesus going up on a a mountain in Matthew? Well, the first passage that I want to look at is in Matthew 17, if you want to turn your Bibles there. And it's the transfiguration. So what are we going to learn about Jesus from these different mountain scenes? Well, I think the transfiguration presents a pretty interesting one. Um, What Jesus does is he goes up on a high mountain. Uh, That is the language used all the way in chapter 17 and verse 1 of Matthew. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. So the setting is a mountain. And what happens there? We're told that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Just think about that first phrase for a minute. Think about who else you might know of who went up on a mountain and then his face began to shine I just made a reference to it a little, a few minutes ago when I was talking about the veil. It was Moses. Moses went up on a mountain to get the law from God, and whenever he would have these conversations with God, his face would shine and glow, and it creeped the people out so much that they said, "Hey, cover that thing up." Uh, and so he had to put a veil over his face when he came down because it shone so much. And that's the that's the the. Analogy that Paul is making when he says Moses had to hide the glory by wearing a veil, but when you turn to Jesus, you're taking off that veil, and the full glory is going to be there. And so Jesus, when he goes up on the mountain like Moses, his face begins to shine, even brighter than Moses. As a matter of fact, you then find out that all of his clothes became white as light. Like it's it's what happened to Moses. exponentially larger. It's even brighter and it's his whole body that is now being transfigured because the glory isn't just something reflected from God to him. Jesus is actually embodying the glory of God here in this moment. You keep reading and lo and behold, Moses actually appears in the scene. Moses and Elijah both show up on the mountain with Jesus. So there should be no doubt that you should be thinking about Moses on the mountain, his face shining, Jesus on the mountain with Moses. Only now, instead of Moses' face shining, it's Jesus' face and entire body that is shining. Something is happening with the glory that we saw back there in the days of Moses With Jesus now. It's almost like it's being transferred in an even greater way from Moses, the one who was the lawgiver and the one who uh, freed the people out of uh, Egypt and the one who was the great and wise philosopher and the one who wrote down their scriptures and all these things. Moses, the great leader, the great warrior, the great uh, philosopher, the lawgiver, he is now being surpassed in glory by Jesus, who's right there with him. Interestingly also, Elijah's there too. And I think that's part of a different theme that Matthew's working on, but it's it's also important. Uh, Elijah's there on the mountain. Remember the ministry of Elijah? One of the problems that he had is he had to preach to kings over and over and over again. Some pretty bad kings, like King Ahab and these other kings, who did not listen to him, who hated him, who wanted him killed. He had to flee for his life from Jezebel because the kings would not listen to him. The kings were supposed to listen to Elijah. You know what's kind of fascinating? On this mountain, we're going to talk about it here in just a minute, but uh, there's a voice that comes from the cloud, and it says, This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. You listen to him. Instead of the kings being told to listen to Elijah, Elijah is now being told, You listen to the king. Uh, There's a transfer of glory taking place here. And along with that transfer, you have Peter who's like, hey, let's build three tabernacles. You know, I think he probably has that the children of Israel in the wilderness mindset. Moses going up on the mountain, seeing that. He's thinking maybe we can do something here to symbolize and to honor all three of you as though perhaps they are equals. Uh, And and that's that's not the right way to, to go about this. As he's saying that, a cloud overshadows them. You remember what Moses was following there in the wilderness? You remember what was up on top of the mountain that Moses had to go up to? The cloud. Well, the cloud comes back to the top of a mountain, this time with Jesus there. And a voice comes from the cloud. Do you remember with Moses, there was a voice that came from the cloud and everyone could hear it. And you know what happened when they all heard it? They all trembled and fell to the ground and were terrified and said, no, you talk to that voice. We don't want to hear it anymore. You cover your face and you silence that voice because this is terrifying because they were too close to the glory of God. Well, all of that stuff is happening right now at the transfiguration. Of The cloud comes back. The great booming voice comes from the cloud. And you know what happened to the disciples who were there? The disciples do the exact same thing the Israelites did. They fell on their face terrified. So what's what's the point here? Um, You have a very similar scene at the transfiguration than what you had with Moses in the book of Exodus on the mountain, where his face was shining, where uh, the cloud was there, the voice came from the cloud, the voice terrified all of the people. The people were supposed to listen to Moses. Kings were supposed to listen to Elijah. But now, instead of authority and glory being given to them, it's being transferred to his son. That's going to be really important for understanding the authority of Jesus throughout the book of Matthew. It's going to be really important for understanding why you should listen to Jesus. And the mountaintop is a reminder of that. When Jesus goes on the mountain, it's a reminder you listen to what he has to say. It's a reminder that Jesus has the very authority of God with him in a greater way even than Moses and Elijah did. He's the one to whom we give our attention and our ears as he teaches and guides us. Another important, uh, and then after this, uh, Jesus tells the disciples to rise uh, up from the ground and to have no fear. They don't need to fear the type of king that he is. Uh, the next scene that I think is interesting is right at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. It's the resurrection. After the resurrection, uh, we had the passage read just a moment ago, uh, Jesus leads his disciples to a very high mountain. So if you turn with me now to Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28. Verse 16, it says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated or directed them. So Jesus tells them to go to a certain mountain that he's going to meet with them after the resurrection. Here's something incredible happens. When they saw him, that's a typo, I just noticed. Uh, It doesn't say when they say him. When they saw him, they worshipped him. So, when Jesus goes up on the mountain, they worship him. Now, think about Moses and think about Elijah. Should they have been worshiped while they were up on the mountain? No. Uh, worship is something that belongs only to God. What we'll see in this resurrection scene is not only does Jesus have the authority of Moses, but greater, Jesus has the authority even of God himself worthy himself of being worshiped and praised, worthy himself of receiving the worship of the disciples. The mountaintop is a reminder not only that Jesus is worth listening to even more than Moses and Elijah, that Jesus speaks with the very authority of God. Now some doubt, which is a common theme throughout Matthew, that happens quite a bit, whenever they see these kind of terrifying glimpses of Jesus equality with God. It is hard to fully accept that at face value. However, they are in the presence of one who, you know, a couple days earlier was laid in a tomb lifeless and dead, and now he's standing before them. Jesus then says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So think about some of these, the meaning of these things. They're worshiping Jesus up on a mountain. Kind of like you would do with with God when you would go to worship him. Um, Then he says, all authority in heaven and on earth. Who has all authority in heaven? What king? What person? What ruler? What lawgiver? Only God. This is a statement that could only be true of God himself. To say, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Is mine. It's again an expression of the, the fact that Jesus himself is equal to God in authority. He then tells them to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. So kings might be able to get adherence from their nation, but Jesus is saying, you're going you're to go to every nation that there is because I'm offering a kingdom that is not bound by borders or limited by, by distance or geography. Every single nation will be made up of disciples of mine. Go to make disciples of all nations because I have all authority in all of earth and in all of heaven, baptizing them, and how interesting is this, in the name of the Father and the Son And the Holy Spirit. Now, a phrase like that, where you're equating the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit into one, and Jesus being the Son is like adding Himself to that expression to that phrase. That's not something just a mere human being could do. You know, I, 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 there's no way in a million years I could add my name to something like that. Like, you know, the do this by the authority of God and of, and then just name some guy. But Jesus is able to do it. Why? Because he is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the one worthy of praise and worship. As a matter of fact, he then says to teach them to observe all that I commanded you. You know what that should challenge us to do? To go back to the beginning of Matthew and start reading it and pay a lot of attention to all of the things that Jesus said. Like, for example, the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is one of those things that they should go and be teaching. They should teach all the things that Jesus commanded. So you go and you remember the words that Jesus taught and you teach those things. And notice how Jesus ends it by saying, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Those are the final words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. If you remember way back in chapter 1 when Jesus is introduced, at his birth, he's introduced as Emmanuel, which means God with us. All right. So this final scene of Jesus on the mountain isn't just comparing him to Moses. It's comparing Jesus to God. And Jesus, who is introduced as God with us, will continue to be with us throughout. He's the one who on the mountaintop is worthy of worship. He's the one who's on the mountaintop, has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's the one who has authority in every nation and can make disciples of all the world. He's the one whose teaching we ought to listen to. In both of these mountain scenes, you're getting Jesus' elevated glory, worth, uh, and authority above anyone and everyone else, including his equality with God himself. Now, going back earlier in Matthew to a different mountain scene, this is one of the first ones. And this is where Satan takes Jesus up on a high mountain. And contrast this with what we just saw at the end. The very last words of Matthew, Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he's going to make disciple of every nation. Well, now the devil, long before them, is going to offer him that in a different way. He's going to offer him the goal that Jesus is striving toward with the cross. He's going to offer him that freely without the cross. He's going to take Jesus up on a very high mountain, so that's our setting again, and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. If you want glory, look at Rome. If you want glory, look at all of the power and the might that they have. Look at every kingdom on earth. And Satan is going to offer him that if he will but fall down and worship him. So so notice the contrast here. The disciples fall down and worship Jesus as he now has authority over all the nations of the earth and over all heaven and all earth. That's the end of Matthew. Here at the beginning of his ministry, Satan is saying, hey, I'll give you a shortcut to that. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. I'll give you uh, everything you want. But instead of going to the cross, fall down and worship me right here. Notice who in this story has the authority to give those kingdoms. Might warn us a little bit about kingdoms of the earth. Uh, It might tell us a little something about how careful we should be when we view those as the end game. Jesus is not viewing those as the end game. He has a different kingdom in mind. And so here, Satan is offering him the earthly kingdoms if he will fall down and worship. And Jesus says, be gone, Satan. Notice this phrase. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Doesn't Jesus receive worship quite a bit in Matthew? It's certainly right there at the end. We already saw one scene where he receives it on on the mountain. But actually, throughout Matthew... Jesus his disciples and people who meet him they fall down and that word for worship proskuneo is used precisely to describe what they're doing for Jesus. Jesus says only God can be worshiped and then throughout Matthew Jesus is the one receiving worship. And so again this is one of those hints towards the divine identity of Jesus himself but after this Satan leaves him. So that's Matthew 4 Matthew 4, they go up on a mountain and Satan offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth and Jesus rejects them and Satan leaves. Matthew 5, Jesus goes back up on a mountain and this is the Sermon on the Mount. He comes down from the mountain of Satan. He comes down from the mountain where he could have gotten the kingdoms of this earth and he goes up on another mountain to talk about a different kingdom. He goes up on another mountain with the authority surpassing even Moses surpassing even Elijah, with the authority equal to God himself, and he's going to teach about a different kind of kingdom, a different way of life. It says, seeing the crowds, this is Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1, he went up on the mountain. And he says throughout the sermon uh, things like, you have heard that it was said, and he'll quote Moses, and he'll say, but I say unto you, and then he'll say something that intensifies uh, what what Moses' teaching was. And it's fascinating the way he does that, especially when you remember the transfiguration and you remember that Moses is there, but we're told to listen to the Son. We're told to listen to Jesus. There's a transfer taking place there, and you see it throughout his teaching and throughout his sermons. It says in Matthew, uh, right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of Matthew 7, it says, When Jesus finished these sayings, one of the things that's interesting about that is that's a direct quote from when Moses finished his sayings. That, that phrase, to conclude the Sermon on the Mount, is also a phrase used near the end of Deuteronomy to conclude when Moses is speaking. But it says, When Jesus was, uh, finished these sayings, he went down from the mountain, and it says, He was teaching them as one who had authority. That's what the crowds are saying. They're all amazed at what Jesus has done. Well, why is Jesus teaching them as one who has authority? What have we already seen from the other mountaintop scenes? He has unparalleled authority. He is teaching them with the very authority of God. And then he comes down from the mountain and great crowds begin to follow. I think that in and of itself offers a small challenge to us. What are we going to do when we hear the authoritative words of Jesus? Do we walk away and go back to our lives and live as we once did and and continue uh, uh, in in the way that we have have previously wanted to see and view the world? Or will we follow and begin to try to see the world anew, to begin to see the world with Christ's vision, to begin to see the world as Jesus does? Well, the best way for us to do that, and what we're going to do this summer, is we're going to go through the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus actually explicitly tells us how to view this world and tells us some of the ways to start to see it differently. So here's the challenge, uh, the call to action as we bring our lesson to a close. Be open to the radical call of the authoritative, glorified, divine Jesus. Seek his kingdom over all of those other kingdoms that Satan has offered. You know, Satan offered all the kingdoms of this earth and Jesus offers the kingdom of heaven. That's the one that you seek. That's the one that you serve and you let Jesus tell you how. That's what we're going to do this summer, and I invite you all to participate in it and, uh, and to try to not just hear the words of Jesus, but let's see if we can be transformed by them. If there's anyone here this morning who would uh, like the prayers of this church or would like to become a Christian, please let that be known. You can go talk to one of our elders in the library in the back, or you can come sit on the front row, but please let it be known while we stand and as we sing.